I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Hello and welcome to the Inside Try Show with me, Helen Murray, bringing you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. I've got a special episode for you this week. It's all about the heart. You might remember hearing Mark Austin's story back in episode 34. If you haven't heard it, go and do it after this episode. It was really, really brilliant. So Mark was the bronze medalist at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. He also won silver at under 23 and junior world championship level in triathlon. So he was destined for really big things. But in 2020, at the age of 26, he was forced to retire on medical grounds after being diagnosed with a rare heart condition, ARVC, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Now, before doing that interview with Mark, I had read a little bit about various sports stars being forced to retire due to heart conditions. So you might recall Fabrice Maramba in football and England cricketer James Taylor. Look closely at triathlon and there are also some big names who've been affected by cardiac issues. Hamish Carter, Erin Densham, Sam Warriner, and then in long course triathlon, Greg Welch, Torbjorn Sindbala, Norman Stadler as well. And possibly most tragically of all, Laurent Vidal of France, who finished fifth at the London Olympics, and he died from a heart attack in 2015. Well, following on from that episode with Mark, I had a few age group athletes reaching out to me, wanting to share their stories. So you're going to hear from Greg Hilton and Paul Klukas, but I also wanted to get the facts. I wanted an expert to explain a bit more about some of these cardiac issues and whether there are links between what we do in love when it comes to endurance sports and our cardiac health. So you're going to be hearing from Dr. Michael Papadikis a little later on. 
The good news is he is a massive advocate for exercise. In fact, he says even if you have a cardiac condition, there is no individual who should not engage in any physical activity whatsoever. So he is for exercise and it's a yeah really good interview with him and he is awesome. So you will be hearing more from him shortly. But first of all, you're going to be Paul Klukas. He is 50 and sport is something that he's done since he was tiny. Like that was his thing at school. He played rugby league to a high level. He was also a very keen triathlete. And again, in that, he competed at a high level in his age group and also for the fire service. But he's recently had to take a bit of a backward step after being diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular and often abnormally fast heart rate, as well as ventricular tachycardia, which causes your heart to beat too fast. My wake-up call that something was really wrong was while competing in the Ironman in Mallorca, which was last September. So I'd gone out there off the back of World Championships in Switzerland, uh, where there was no issues whatsoever. And I was stepping up because I've, I've always done sprint and standards. I was stepping up. I'd done Barcelona uh, earlier on in the year and over in Mallorca. Went out for the swim and the swim was the choppiest swim I've ever seen. I felt something on my neck on the way back in. And I thought it was a jellyfish thing. There was lots of jellyfish in there and put it down to, to that, really. But jumped on my bike after the swim and, and my heart rate on my, on my Garmin was, was showing 200, 200 plus. I'm thinking, well, I'm 50 and I know what, obviously, training so much, you're very much in tune with your body. And my maximum heart rate would probably 165, 170 max if I was all out. So 210, 220 was something wrong here. But of course, it was the Garmin that was wrong, not me. Uh, it's, it's easy to blame your, your equipment because you become this non-believer. How can it? How can that be the truth? So yeah, the Garmin, the Garmin was wrong. So I continued for 90k in probably what I know now as in atrial fibrillation. So my heart was basically out of out of rhythm at the top. And did Paul? Did you feel like you know? Because sometimes if your heart rate monitor says one thing, and I don't know, you maybe don't feel like it. Is that, did you feel like you were almost like gasping for breath and really, really pushing hard and everything like that when your heart rate was saying, you know, 210? The only thing I felt was absolutely no power whatsoever. So I got on and, and again, working, training um, to a certain power ratio, power meter on my bike, I knew what power should be able to push over that distance. And suddenly I couldn't push the power and my legs felt really empty. So it felt like I was absolutely had no energy whatsoever, which just didn't make sense for doing a, a you know a swim only, and being you know at the peak of my fitness almost at this point. So it was kind of strange. I couldn't work it out, but my mind was saying, no, 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 it'll be all right. It'll, at some point, it'll kick back in. You'll be okay. So in hindsight, yeah, I should have stopped because something really wasn't right. But you tend to you tend to ignore those signs and, and I did and then I got into after the 90k got into transition and thought something not right here but maybe I can run it off you know why when you look back typical would, triathlete yeah but you're not in that mind frame you're not reflecting you're not not being rational you, you're just doing what you do and you know it's like well no because the other mindset we, we tend to have as, as crazy triathletes is you know never give up 
don't be defeated. So it was like, I'm not going to let this beat me. You know, crazy. It sounds crazy in the in the light of day, but I ran the half marathon with a heart rate of 200 plus. How how I'm still stood up, I don't know. Yeah. And it didn't, and it so that it just your Garmin, yes, yeah, stayed that high all the way through. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that I should have listened to because it went from my Garmin on my on my bike computer to my wrist, um, and it was still selling me the same thing. So that's two broken Garmin's I've got whilst working. Uh, also that I was making myself believe but it was it was again feeling empty and I, I was walking running walking running it was just absolutely zapped any any power any energy that I had which was really frustrating really frustration but I just didn't want to give up I saw that as a bigger defeat um I got to the end and my partner who'd, who'd finished before me uh says you are absolutely white as a sheet you know and I felt yeah I felt crap but you don't always feel great at the end of a race anyway you feel drained um, but yeah, sat down, had a bit of a rest, and then really my heart rate came down and carried on as normal. And and that's where really the the almost that defiance and, and disbelief happens because it it was going back to normal after resting. So I was just well, I'm normal again now, so I'll just crack on, you know. And I don't need to go and get seen and find out what's going on. And when I look back in hindsight over the last year. Before this, I've had I've had really small periods of two or three seconds at a time where I felt kind of a little bit faint and my heart felt a bit fluttering. And when I've looked back on my on my stats on Strava, etc., you look at it and it's like, oh, my heart rate's peaked there to on nineties, two hundreds. But again, just dismissing it. So the, the warning signs, I suppose, was there. I didn't know what there was because I didn't even know this was a thing. So I've carried on and. and part of, of kind of sharing my story and, and I share it in blogs is is to raise that awareness that actually if things aren't feeling right get checked over don't keep don't keep pounding away get checked over because things might not be right and you realized that things were definitely not right earlier in 2020 didn't you yeah certainly did um after Mallorca I knew something wasn't right but went back into feeling you know my heart went back into normal rhythm so it it felt fine again and then just training one evening on Zwift as uh, as the winter makes us all train inside and my heart rate was going up to 190s but I didn't feel too bad to be fair it just again didn't make sense probably the Garmin and suddenly fainted uh, on my bike luckily my partner was there and uh, she from in the next room she quickly came in and, and actually caught me because I slumped over the front of the bike still attached as you are in your uh, in the pedals and the whole bike, including the the turbo, had come over and, and I'd end up on the floor. Woke up, partner holding me. Yeah, so a bit of a shock at that point. So you'd literally gone over the handlebars and tipped yeah. the bike over? The whole bike went over with me. And uh, my feet were still attached when I woke up, saying, what's happened? What am I on the floor for? Not knowing what had gone on. And I just literally fainted, to which point um, my partner made me rightly made me uh, go to the the accident emergency and, and just get, get checked out. So they checked me out and then consequently over the next few weeks I had uh, numerous tests and the ECG, uh, you know, kind of clarified that, yeah, I was I was in the air. But that was the least of my worries. <laughs> I thought, you know, after seeing that, I saw the, the, the cardiologist and, and he explained it in, in really, really good detail. Um, but he also asked me what I did. He said, what do you do? What's your sport? Explain it to me. 
I said, well, I've started doing half Ironman and that's, you know, that's 1.9 kilometers swim and 90k on the bike and it's a half marathon to finish with. He just looked at me and says, there's, there's no animal on this planet which is actually designed to do that amount of sport over that amount of time. He kind of looked at him and says, yeah, fair play. You know, what could I do? I'm putting my body under massive, massive um, pressure and stress at the highest, you know, not doing it just to, to complete. I'm doing it to compete. And I'm pushing my body, you know, not only in training to get to, to that, but in, in the competition as well. So what he said was, I can put you back in rhythm, put you back in sinus rhythm quite easily, but it's whether you can stay there. And if you're going to continue doing this, then, you know, it's going to more than likely drop back into to AF, which is is obviously an issue and, and made me realise straight away, actually, at 50, I've had, I've had a good innings of competing. I've done a lot. I'm, I'd rather have my health than, than compete and, and damage my heart. So it was quite an easy one, and, and a lot of people have, have spoke to me about how we deal with it psychologically. You know, it's all right physically, but this is what you do. I said, no, this isn't. This doesn't define me. This is something I do. You now my life's bigger than this. It's a big part of my life, but I've got to have my health to do anything in life. So, kind of easy, really easy decision to think. Well, now I'll just do different things. You know, there's so many opportunities out there, and you know, it kind of gave me a bit of a saving grace. Said you can still. You can still train, just train moderately, like the most, like the rest of the population. I thought, well, that's that gives me quite a a lot to do, really, a lot of scope that I can still swim, I can still bike, I can still run once I'm back in Sinus River. Just don't go crazy. That's it. So no, no more crazy Swift sessions for you then. Well, no more racing on Swift. Yeah, and absolutely beasting yourself to uh, to exhaustion, not only exhaustion, but fainting. So I will go on Zwift and, and did continue because that psychological element is, is a big thing. Getting on Zwift in a controlled way, and, and the kit is so clever now that I can control that to, to resistance. So my partner very much so, and, and I had to agree with her, we, we put a limit on that, uh, 100 watts. So 100 watts for most people is, is you know, it's into the sport, is not a lot of, lot of resistance. But what it allowed me to do was get on there for a short period of time and actually feel a little bit alive again and, and think, well, I'm not just sat in the corner of the room rocking and just existing. I'm actually, I can do something. But then you had another scare, didn't you, just a, a few months ago, like more recently. So what happened with then? Yeah, back on the Zwift, back on the, uh, the fateful torturing machine, but very much at the controlled rate at this point, like I said, 100 watts, I was doing 30 minutes at a time and watching my heart rate. It was, without any guidance, I'd kind of capped it myself, but it was particularly a little bit higher on this day. It was higher than normal. And then all of a sudden, I, I felt faint again. This time, I, I kind of felt it and knew what was coming or what might be coming and got off my bike. But the time, as I went down to the floor and then woke up again with my partner holding me. Um, so fortunately, another trip to hospital. Uh, what's going on? It's shouldn't be fainting like this. You know, they tell me that AF is a relatively common, shall we say, in, from an electrical perspective, and not really life-threatening. So I've kind of taken that all on board and thinking, well, I can do some stuff and it won't, it's not going to kill me. Um, so I fainted again and, and in I went, to which they put me in hospital, uh, which resulted in an 11-day stay. So they decided day five to put me on a stress test, putting, putting me on a, a treadmill 
all wired up to see what's going on. What they said is, we need you to push yourself. You know, don't just go on there and have a stroll and stop because that's not going to help. We're not going to see it. So it's like, right, okay, let's let's go for this. Uh, and obviously not not a stranger to treadmills. <laughs> I thought, well, this is this is my bread and butter. This would be fine, not a problem. Um, um, and went to a point where really physically I could have gone more, but but uh, trying to breathe with my heart not pumping the blood, it was just getting more difficult to breathe. So I said, guys, I've had enough. You know, and it's they sat me straight down. I said, how do you feel? I says, I says I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm breathing heavy, but that's you know that's just. I'm not feeling or anything. Yeah, it's normal. <laughs> I'm always breathing everyone I train. Um, and, and they kept looking at me, looking at the screen, backwards and forwards, looking at me, feel okay, I feel fine, I'm just breathing heavy. And then next minute, she t- one of the nurses turns around and just, just shouts at me to get to the floor. Uh, I'm, I'm on the seat, wired up, and she said, get down, get down on the floor now. At which point, they slap the defib pads on me. So it's like, no, there really is something wrong here. And I'm saying to him, look, I, f- I feel okay. And all I could hear was the defib pad charging in the background. And, you know, you, you, you see it on telly, on, on um, casualty or whatever. And that's all I could hear. And then running around and press the panic button. There's more cardiologists running in. I'm laid on the floor just with my shorts. I'm going, guys, I, f- I feel all right. My heart's going, obviously, 10 to the dozen. And then the nurse is saying, ready to shock. And I'm thinking... Again, I'm, I'm verbalising, saying I'm, I'm feeling okay, relatively. Thinking, can you hear me? Am I having an out-of-body experience here? This is this is going to hurt, you know. And then she said, "Ready to shock." And I'm thinking, right, brace. And you can imagine, if you can imagine, I'm laid on the floor, and I'm literally got my body now stiff, thinking they're going to press the button, and this is going to hurt like hell. I mean, as as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a firefighter, so I know a little bit about the medical side of things and and the shocking and what. Well, that's and like. normally people would be very out of it when they're when they're really? shocked. And I'm, I'm thinking, no, don't don't do this. This is going to hurt. This is really going to hurt. And and then the last second, as and, and later I found the nurse had the the finger on the button ready to press. At the very last second, the doctor shouted, the cardiologist shouted, "Stop! No, it's it's coming out. It's coming out. Stop! Stop!" So they didn't press it, but. God, I think I went through it mentally and uh, almost physically had to brace and felt like I was just about going to have that. Um, to which point I was so relieved that, that I'd come out of whatever I'd come out of and whatever I'd been in, God only knows. I said to him, what, you know, what is it? What what we found? He said, oh, it's VT. VT has been making you faint. At least we know what it is and we can treat it now. I says, right, okay. And I because I'd been reading from my first diagnosis quite a lot about AF, VT, does fit into that in a lot of the reading so i knew what vt was but immediately started reading a bit more once i got into the ward and vt is ventricular tachycardia yes that's right so basically as i spoke earlier about the top of the heart not being properly what can happen to the bottom of the heart is the ventricles are the important bits that push the blood out the oxygenated blood out and and allow us to do what we do that can go into a fibrillation so that can be uh, not as it's supposed to, so consequently doesn't pump the blood around the body. But you've probably only got a couple of minutes until that kind of says enough's enough and cardiac arrest. And that's why they had me on the pads ready to push the button because they was expecting me to go into cardiac arrest. Now, whether that's my fitness over the years that, that helped me or not, I don't know. I'd like to think it was because um, I don't know how I come out of it. One of the nurses come up afterwards to see me. So after thanking her for, for what they'd done, she says, 
we don't. I've never had to press the panic button. She said, but we're trained to do it. I said, how close was you to pressing the defib? She said, the nurse had her hand on the button. She was going to press it any second. She said, we've never seen a heart rate that high. We've not going into, you know, cardiac arrest. And it was 272 maxed out at, which, you know, straight away in my competitive nature, as I explained, it was like, yes, that's that's winner. You know, and the highest result, you know, and it's like, stop. You've got to stop this, Paul. You've got to stop this competitiveness. But yeah, that's kind of... 272. Like, 272, I think it was 156% of my maximum heart rate. You know, how does that happen? But VT, that's what it does to you. And I think you've got until, you know, it's only about the 280s before they reckon it goes into cardiac arrest. So it was it was very close. Uh, Did you close. feel like your heart was about to burst out your chest? It What it felt, it feels a little bit bizarre because you can feel the heart, moving literally you feel your chest moving and you can see it visually seeing it and it'll actually that it's that stronger a beat it moves your stomach as well so the whole body was kind of moving at the same time uh but no pain and never have i had any pain with any any of this all the way through which is the bizarre thing and i suppose why i've dismissed it for for quite a long time because there's never been no pain or no after effects and, and like I say, I've got to 50 and abused, in a way, abused my heart to, to quite an extent or, or certainly made it work uh, hard for quite an extent. Yeah, it does make you think um, there may be quite a lot out there. But just people doing age group stuff like, like myself, I've had friends, after I've put it out on my blog, say to me, I've been feeling like you and not really understand what it is. I need to, I need to go and see somebody because, you know, it's worrying me now. Uh, and quite a lot of what what I do, certainly in my blogs, is is to raise that awareness, so that people actually know it's a thing, and then they've got a choice. I didn't have a choice because I didn't know it existed. You know, when some when they said to me, "You've got AF," it was, well, "What's that?" Not saying I would do anything different, and certainly have no regrets, but at least I'd have a choice and may do a couple of things different. Paul, have you had any advice for anyone else listening to this? What would it be? Listen to your body, and and if if your body's telling you something, get it checked out. You know, it's probably going to be nothing. You know, and and our bodies do kind of strange things and recover. The body is is amazing at, at what it can do and what it can we what it can withstand. But don't ignore it. Don't ignore some of those signs because you know it's better to get it checked out and be nothing than to ignore it and it and that get worse. Um, but don't worry. You know, don't necessarily back off. Go for go for your dreams and your goals. That was Paul Cluckas sharing his story with you because he wanted to raise awareness of what had happened to him. So I mentioned Dr. Michael Papadikis before. He's a consultant cardiologist at St. George's University of London with an interest in sports cardiology as well as prevention of heart disease and sudden cardiac death. He's also been the president of the European section of sports cardiology and he's the president of the European Association of Preventative Cardiology, with exercise being one of their major aims. So he really does know his stuff. He is a guru when it comes to this. And I started by asking him if there is such a thing as athlete's heart and what it is. Yes, there's definitely that thing called athlete's heart. It's a quite broad term. Essentially, what happens is that when someone exercises on a regular basis, then their heart, their cardiovascular system as a whole, the heart and the different arteries and veins will adapt. Now, if I had to summarize to you how the heart adapts, I would say to you that all four chambers 
become bigger, they dilate, the muscle wall of the heart thickens a bit, and the heart muscle looks a bit more spongy than usual when a doctor has a look of your heart with an ultrasound scan. The other thing that happens, and your uh, audience will have observed, is that the heart rate tends to go lower. A high-endurance athlete may be running a baseline heart rate of about 40 to 50 beats per minute compared to an untrained individual who usually lies between 60 and 70 beats per minute. And that's simply because the heart is a more efficient pump. So they're able to push across the body with every time the heart pumps more blood volume. And as such, although someone who is untrained may have to do the same contraction about 70 times, an elite athlete can do that with about 40 to 50 times maximum. So yes, definitely there is an athletic adaptation. And the important thing about the athletic adaptation, Helen, is not only that it exists and your audience will be aware of, but also my colleagues should be aware of it as well. Because We've seen it in many occasions that those cardiac adaptations are reflected, as we said, on the pulse rate that your GP may take for a completely different reason and see if I and a heart rate of 40 beats per minute and start getting concerned. And there are plenty of cases that one investigation brings the next one and eventually you end up with a diagnosis. So is athlete's heart then... Is it a thing to be worried about or is it just a normal part of if you're an endurance athlete, that is the adaptation that happens to the heart? It's a normal variant. It's exactly what happens to the heart with uh, exercise. How much your heart adapts, it will depend on what sort of exercise do you do. And you're predominantly interested in endurance training and how many hours of that endurance training you do. Endurance athletes are the individuals that are more likely to have significant adaptation of the heart and the sort of adaptation that may cause confusion with conditions that uh, may predispose to heart disease and sudden cardiac death. It's important, however, to highlight that the great majority of athletic individuals, even endurance athletes, will exhibit adaptation of the heart that falls well within physiological limits that we doctors use when we evaluate a regular patient, forget the athletes. Okay. And quite often at the time of the London Marathon every year, or sometimes you might hear about in an Ironman, someone sadly dying suddenly in the swim. Are they just really unfortunate circumstances? The majority of them will be unfortunate circumstances in that the exercise itself for the great, great majority of individuals has not caused the issue, okay? Exercise in some cases may be the trigger in someone who has an underlying condition. And that's very important to highlight. The other important thing to highlight is that although we are used to think of uh, those unfortunate events of a cardiac arrest or a sudden cardiac death as an extremely rare event, the reality is that more, it is more frequent than we previously thought. And that's why we as the European section of sports cardiology encourage people to have at some point in their life a screening regarding their heart. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To have a screening, could you just go to your doctor and say, look, please, you know, I'm planning on doing X or Y. Can you just check that my heart's ticking all right, please? Yes, you can go to your doctor, to your general practitioner. Obviously, we have to keep in mind that they're overwhelmed most of the time, particularly during this COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, it may vary as to how keen they are to offer that screening for you. We do a lot of screening as well. I work very closely with a charity called Cardiac Risk in the Young that they uh, advocate for screening of all young individuals. And we do screenings up to the age of 35 years. As I said, with a questionnaire, a simple 12-lead ECG. And uh, I think the fee for that is a nominal fee of about £50. A a good investment if you're going to know, you know, if you are going to be susceptible. 50 quid's nothing. Exactly. And to be honest with you, Helen, there there have been a lot and there is still a lot of argument as to how beneficial is screening those sorts of circumstances in preventing sudden cardiac death. But at the end of the day, uh, one has to consider that a 20, 25, 30, 35 and a 40 year old individual who unfortunately experiences such an event and loses their life have many, many, many years of life to offer to their society. Are there more issues amongst males compared to females? Most definitely. And we've seen it consistently throughout the literature from data that come from many different countries around the world. Males tend to be more prone to sudden cardiac death compared to female athletic individuals. They tend to die more from the conditions that we're looking for in younger people, like inherited conditions that can be passed on from one generation to the next. And also we know that uh, even when we go to the older ages, what we would call the veteran athlete, those over so the age. What is, yeah, what is veteran? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's an arbitrary definition. I, I'm in the veteran age range now, the tender age of 43 years. But essentially, we tend to differentiate young versus old by having that cutoff of 35 years of age, which is quite a low cutoff. Before that age, we don't see a lot of coronary artery disease, angina, heart attacks, which is the predominant cause of sudden cardiac death or cardiac arrest in older athletic individuals. In the younger ones, we've got those inherited conditions that someone carries in their gene and they never know about it until they experience an arrhythmia or such an event. So that's how we define veteran athletes. Even in the veteran athletes, we do see and there are arguments regarding the impact of exercise in terms of coronary artery disease, in terms of arrhythmias such as atrial fibrillation that your audience may have heard, or even what they've called before, and there was an argument about an exercise-induced heart muscle condition called ARVC. And 
even those conditions tend to predominate in male compared to female athletes. Do we know why? No, we don't know exactly why. Regarding coronary artery disease, we know that even in the general population, males are more prone to it. Females are protected by the increased amount of estrogen in their circulation, particularly until menopause. And they tend to develop coronary artery disease about a decade, maybe a bit more later, compared to male individuals. For the rest of the conditions, it still remains a mystery. Obviously, you have to understand that it's a mixed bag of different conditions that can end up with the same result that we're looking at. But there are theories about, again, hormonal, genetic predispositions. We ourselves, as researchers, have started looking deeper into the female athlete's heart what are the adaptations that the female gets compared to the male in order to try and offer a more targeted approach to the female athlete. It's so interesting. And I know that there is loads and loads of research going on at the moment that you and your peers are are all working on. So tell me a little bit about atrial fibrillation. And is there a connection then between that and endurance sports? So atrial fibrillation is an irregularity of the heart rhythm. Usually your heart has four chambers, two at the top and two at the bottom. The two at the top, which are the weak chambers, they are the ones that uh, essentially electricity gets generated. And then it spreads throughout uh, uh, your heart and makes your heart pump blood around your body. Now, this process is usually fairly regular. You've got a pacemaker that contracts and sends an electrical impulse on a regular basis. Uh, In atrial fibrillation, what happens is that you've got multiple different centers firing all together. So essentially, uh, what we will call it an arrhythmia or an irregularity of the regular heart rhythm, which is very random, and it can affect individuals in a number of different ways. It's highly variable how individuals get affected. It's highly variable how athletes get affected. The the extremes of the spectrum will be someone who is completely asymptomatic and they go to their GP for a checkup of something completely irrelevant. The GP takes their pulse and realizes that it's very regular. He does an ECG and he diagnoses atrial fibrillation. The other extreme is someone who suffers from significant symptoms in terms of feeling tired, in terms of getting easily out of breath, in terms of getting dizzy spells. And in between, obviously, we've got a large uh, gray zone. The thing with atrial fibrillation and uh, endurance sport is that actually atrial fibrillation is the one condition that we have accumulating evidence that high endurance sports over a long period of time, so we're talking in the veteran athlete spectrum, so individuals in their 50s typically, are more prone to develop atrial fibrillation. They might be five to six times more prone compared to someone who does uh, exercise in moderation according to the World Health Organization guidelines of that 150 to 300 hours, uh, sorry, minutes per week. What are the symptoms then? How how does someone know, let's say it's a triathlete listening to this, they've been doing triathlon for 10, 15 years. How do they know if if they've got it or if something's going to happen? So typically, uh, high endurance athletes will will, uh, report two symptoms. One is they may report palpitations, a feeling that the heart is fluttering. 
and they may typically develop that at night time, not actually during exercise, okay? And that happens because what we call increased parasympathetic tone, what means is that the heart is controlled by nerves in our body that fire, and when the parasympathetic system fires a lot, the heart slows down quite a bit. And that tends to happen particularly when we go to sleep, and that's why our heart rate slows down during sleep and picks up again when we wake up. So typically they may get woken up at night with a feeling of palpitations, okay? The other thing that athletes may describe is a sudden loss of energy. If they're running or cycling, for example, they may describe that they hit a wall. What will happen is because the heart goes into this irregular heart rhythm and in a way they lose a bit of that oomph, that blood volume that the heart ejects every time it contracts, they're able to feel it as a, a loss of energy and they're not able to perform as well as they used to before, or that they just go on and then suddenly lights off in that the energy is gone and they're unable to continue. Is it a dangerous thing? So if someone is feeling those palpitations at night, what should they do? Well, if someone has new symptoms, and the good thing with endurance athletes is that they know their body very well. So they know the symptoms very well as well, and they know when something new or something unusual has started happening. So if they get symptoms, they should definitely get advice from the general practitioner or a cardiologist who has experience with exercise and uh, dealing with athletic individuals. And again, Michael, is is the atrial fibrillation, is that more common among male, older male athletes than older female athletes? Most definitely. And the thing that we see, Helen, with the prevalence of atrial fibrillation is that if you've got individuals who do no exercise whatsoever, sedentary individuals, then they tend to have a higher prevalence of atrial fibrillation. Then as you start exercising and do that 150 minutes or 300 minutes per week that it's recommended for physical fitness and cardiovascular health, we see that the prevalence sorry, of atrial fibrillation starts going down. And we do have very good evidence that exercise is extremely beneficial, not only for the prevention of atrial fibrillation, but also for the treatment of atrial fibrillation. And then what happens is as people start doing more and more exercise and we're going to high endurance sport, you see that the prevalence of atrial fibrillation starts increasing again. And that's why we describe it as a J curve. So high goes low and then starts coming up again. And that has been shown by a number of studies now in male individuals, in male athletes. However, we need to be a bit careful when we transfer that data to the female athlete because we don't have such strong evidence of that J sort of curve in the female athlete. So we know that similar to males, they do get the benefit when they go from sedentary to moderate exercise, but we haven't quite shown yet that if they start going to endurance sports, they tend to increase their chances of getting atrial fibrillation. Can it be treated? So if you are diagnosed with it, can you carry on doing your swimming, your biking, your long runs, your marathons, your ultra runs? The short answer to your question is that it can be treated. However, there will be a number of things that we'll need to address. And endurance athletes need to be evaluated by specialists. They'll have their ECG, they'll have the ultrasound scan of their heart. And then that specialist will be able to assess 
the degree of cardiac adaptation they have undergone. I said, for example, to you before that the chambers of the heart tend to dilate. And we know that there is a particular chamber, the top chamber that creates the electrical impulse called the atrium. And the more dilated that atrium is, the higher your chances of getting atrial fibrillation or getting recurrence of atrial fibrillation. So an individual needs to be assessed by a specialist and then they need to have a number of conversations. First conversation is about exercise. Exercise in moderation is definitely beneficial for atrial fibrillation. High endurance sport and particularly sports like, for example, an Ironman triathlon does not necessarily add more to the cardiovascular benefit that you bet and will definitely, it's likely that it will increase the chances of getting recurrences of that atrial fibrillation once someone has died for the first time. So there is a conversation to be had about the amount of exercise that the individual continues to do. And as you realize, that's a a, a two-way dialogue. You need to consult with the athletes, see what they perceive as quality of life, how much how important exercise is for their quality of life and what sort of exercise they wish to do. The second thing that you need to do is just to ensure after testing the athlete that their heart rate doesn't go too fast because of the atrial fibrillation, either at rest or when they're exercising. The third thing that you need to do is assess uh, the risk of uh, a clot. What happens with atrial fibrillation is because the top chamber is beating very regularly, uh, the blood is not circulating as well as it should do in that particular chamber, and there is a risk of a small clot being created because of that. And that's if that clot travels north and blocks one of the arteries in the brain, then that's what we call a stroke. So it's important that you assess the different risks that that athlete may have and assess what's the risk of stroke. For the great majority of athletic individuals who are otherwise fit and well, with no history of diabetes, high blood pressure, or other heart issues, the likelihood is that the risk is going to be small, particularly for the younger ones, and by younger I mean less than 70 years old. And then the last thing you need to do is explain the options regarding what's the best possible treatment. We can potentially go with medication if necessary to control the heart rate or more advanced treatments which involve an invasive procedure in order to try and get the heart back into the regular heart rhythm. I guess with any of those treatments, it's all it's completely down to the individual. Like any medical circumstance, it's all about the individual, isn't it? Exactly. It's all about the individual and it's also about the assessment that the specialist does of that particular individual. Myself, I belong to a more conservative school in that I don't get anyone to have any puncture or get a catheter in their heart unless I've got good evidence that they get atrial fibrillation on regular occasions, it impacts on their quality of life, and they're going to benefit from such an intervention. And the other thing that we always have to consider, Helen, is that atrial fibrillation is a chronic condition, in that once you had it for the first time, the likelihood is that that's something that will follow you throughout your life. Yes, someone may go and do an ablation, and uh, put a catheter in and treat the atrial fibrillation. But the expectation is that whether that's in a year's or 10 years or 15 years' time, it's something that will probably reoccur. 
Let's hear now from Greg Hilton. He's 53, having started triathlon at the age of 50 after being inspired by the Brownlee brothers. So I'd, I'd cycle since the age of 18 and run a bit and played field hockey, if you've got any American listeners, as opposed to English hockey. So, <laughs> yeah, that was me. Yeah. So um, I don't do things by half. So I got I got fully into it. I thought I might as well get a coach and learn how to do this properly. <laughs> what happened then? So you got into triathlon and then tell tell me about your, your story. I think I just entered a, a local sprint triathlon called Nidderdale Triathlon. And that was my kind of tester at the end of one year. So then I thought, right, I like this. So I did a, did a bit more, two more sprints, I think, a couple of Olympics. About the second year, I started to get some what I would call weird heart rate readings. Mostly on hard intervals, I'd see readings of like 213 beats per minute, but felt fine and could carry on and, and do a session and, and push myself. And then you go to Dr. Google, as everyone does nowadays, <laughs> and uh, people say, oh, it, it's static from your shirt flapping and things like that. So don't worry about it. So didn't worry about it. And then it happened again. So then I thought, like, maybe it must be the technology. So I got a different strap and then I got a different heart rate monitor and it, it was still coming and going. I fell out of breath, but I was running up a hill quite hard. So I thought should be out of breath, really. Didn't feel ill, didn't feel lightheaded, could, you know, didn't ever stop always cycled home whatever um sometimes I was doing a swim at lunch and then the bike in the evening and you know thought it was all fine yes I went to see a a local specialist um who's done quite a lot of work with sports people and he said he does see it a lot in endurance athletes he put me on a portable ECG for a day and he he told me to go and do some hard hill intervals and he did see it happening which is atrial fibrillation is what he called it and and then it would it would die down and it, it was okay and nothing happened overnight so he said you know it's not dangerous per se. I, I'm, I'm young in a heart age, basically. So he, he said, carry on and just keep an eye on it. So I think I went back and about a year later, it was happening more and more frequently. I could see these spikes. And then I think I was out walking a dog with my wife and she said, why, why can't you keep up with me? I said, oh, I'm a bit out of breath, really. So I thought, mm, perhaps it's not good anymore. <laughs> so I went back to the same consultant and he put me on a, the portable ECG for three days this time. So that's something you wear 24-7 while you sleep and while you exercise and everything. He was quite shocked, actually, because I, I was in what he called almost permanent atrial fibrillation. So it was happening all the time, just not when I was exercising. And then what happened? What did he say? What did he say? Right, we can do X or Y. Today. Yeah, so X or Y. The options were you could go on to drugs. And, and he described a procedure, he was very blase about it, called a catheter ablation. But he said it's pretty routine, he does it all the time. And he advised we went ahead with that. I also went on a few forums and actually found a few other triathletes who had had similar. And a couple of them had had the operation and were back training full time, actually. One guy was still doing Ironman and stuff like that. So I thought, mm, OK, let's, let's give this a go. <laughs> and, and at the time, did you even... Like, was that even on your mind? Did you think, well, I'd like to be competing again? Or were you just like, I just want to be able to walk the dog without getting out of breath? I, I thought at the time I'll just, you know, pop in and have this done and I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll just carry on as before. And this was in February 2019. I think I had my first operation. So I, I came out of that. And obviously my, my poor wife was a bit distraught because she was told it'd be a two hour operation. And six hours later, she came in to see me. So. <laughs> So, yeah, um, I think at that point I started to think perhaps this is a bit more serious than than I first thought. And as a, you know, a super healthy 50 or early 50, someone in their early 50s, 
So when when all of this happened, would you have been doing ten to fifteen hours a week of of training? Yeah, I think ten to twelve is probably my average. And what do your weeks look like now? Um, I have more rest days. I, I'd never do a, I've never done a double session. I do Zwift as the weather's awful, and I've, I've done a few of the races there. I, I keep an eye on my heart rate. If it gets close to what my max is, I, I don't push much more than that. Do you miss not pushing yourself, or have you come to terms with it? So after, after I actually ended up having two operations because after the first one, I think I, I lasted February to July, and then it came back again just randomly overnight. So the consultant, he did it, he called it a touch-up. And it's after that second operation, my wife said, look, I don't want you to compete anymore. And I thought, chatted to a few people, and my brother said, look, at your age, you've got nothing to prove to anyone. <laughs> just enjoy life. So that, that was kind of that. I sold all my race bikes and thought, you know, I'm definitely not going to compete. I told myself, you know, I'll just go and do a sprint triathlon for fun. And then my wife said, you can't do things for fun. You'll get competitive. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I've, I've kind of resigned myself to that. I, I still hope to play competitive hockey if I can sort this knee issue out, which is something completely independent. Um, so, yeah, I think it's OK. A- age 53 now. So enjoy life. I went and walked the three peaks with my wife, which I've always wanted to do. So I'm still getting out and about. But just not doing that high intensity. Yeah, just not that high intensity stuff. I think I'm a lot more attuned to my heart now. When, when I lie on my pillow, I can hear my heartbeat, which I never could do before, or it didn't trigger anything anyhow. So. And and the medical team—they've obviously said do carry on doing, yeah, do carry on doing exercise. Like that's yeah. important. My consultant runs half marathons, stuff like that. We, I did sit him down and say, look, for me exercising I'm going to do a half hour time trial flat out max heart rate you went no don't do that (laughs) (laughs) that that was the kind of steer we got don't push your heart to the max for extended periods but he was happy with most other things we talked about that was Greg Hilton sharing his story now the point of this is really not to cause panic or anything like that it is just to make people aware and raise a bit of awareness and those thoughts are echoed by Dr Michael Papadikis who has some really good advice. So if you're listening to this now and you are like like you in your early to mid 40s um, let's say you have been doing running since you're a teenager you've never had any kind of symptom at all would you just say look it's a good time just go and get yourself checked out or just crack on and and don't worry unless you get like those palpitations there's, there's nothing to worry about well i, I don't want to call you know to concern individuals unnecessarily and i don't want anyone to think that i'm trying to get individuals to come and see a sports cardiologist like myself as a general rule uh, i am pro uh, prevention and as I said, I've just been elected as the president of the European Association of Preventive Cardiology. So I'm all for prevention. On the other hand, uh, you know, we need to keep it reasonable. If someone has been exercising all their life and they're doing well and they never had any symptoms, those are the individuals that are least likely to have an underlying heart disease, particularly as you said, in someone who's in their 40s and 50s and they never had any issues whatsoever. On the other hand, yes, I do think that prevention is good and uh, I do recommend individuals who ask me that they do have that uh, checkup, which can be particularly useful in order to ensure at the end of the day that you're getting the maximum benefit at the minimum potential risk from the exercise that you're doing. And that's what we're trying to achieve. 
Yeah, totally. And and I guess the the overriding message is exercise is good for the heart. <laughs> exercise is extremely good for the heart and not only for the heart, but for everything else in your body and your mental health. So that's a very important message. That's the overriding message. And as we all know, Helen exercise, unfortunately, is one of the most underutilized medicines that we've got in our armamentarium in order to treat a number of different conditions in the cardiology field and outside the cardiology field. And that's something we've been uh, fighting for and uh, with a loud voice because at the end of the day, even if you've got a cardiac condition, there is no individual that should not engage in any physical activity whatsoever. It just how much of that physical activity they're able to do safely. And building on from that, endurance sports like triathlon, like running, actually, it's thumbs up for them as well. Yes, it is thumbs up for them as well, because as I said, the majority of individuals, they're not going to develop coronary artery disease. They're not going to develop atrial fibrillation. They will not have an underlying heart disease that may pose a risk to them. And they're going to gain benefits in terms of their cardiovascular health, in terms of the quality of life, in terms of their mental health, in terms of the longevity of their life. And there are studies out there that clearly tell us that high-endurance athletes tend to live longer compared to individuals who are sedentary or exercise in moderation. Because at the end of the day, as you know, Helen, it's not just about how much exercise you do. It's also the overall lifestyle which goes with that exercise, and that has to do with nutrition and a lot of uh, other things that uh, athletes address very well. And I guess sometimes when we do see stories in the media or you hear about famous athletes being diagnosed or forced to retire early, perhaps with a heart condition, I guess part of why that makes an interesting story is because it is that juxtaposition of you've got a really really healthy athlete and and so it's almost like a society thing of well whoa what what's happening there with the heart and the athletic side of things exactly and those cases there will be out there and we will see athletes who unfortunately they get diagnosed or have a cardiac arrest or experience at the cardiac death during exercise, they're not going to go away. And that's why my belief in preventive cardiology and screening, particularly the younger individuals, holds true. Because at the end of the day, I can tell you that from the large screening program that we do in young people, where we screen in excess of 35,000 individuals per year in the United Kingdom, one in 300 will have a condition that has the potential to cause a problem. So it's important at the very least that they're aware and they're managed as appropriately so they are able to engage in the physical activity and exercise they want to do. The other aspect of it, I think, which, again, I, I do understand it's a media thing or we may attribute to the media, but it is important. Those sort of athletes that you describe, uh, we consider them the epitome of health in our society. Those are the individuals we use as doctors in order to say to people, please go into exercise because it has so many benefits for you. And when such an athlete comes so unexpectedly to such an event, whether we like it or not, the reverberations throughout the society are enormous and people start asking those questions. And exercise 
gets that bad reputation, which is unfair. You're doing amazing work, Thank Dr. You. Michael Papadikis. It's 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 brilliant, and I love your passion for for the subject and for getting the message out there as well. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. So that's cardiologist Dr. Michael Papadikis, and earlier on you heard from keen age group triathletes Greg and Paul, and there are some really useful links in the show notes of this episode over at InsideTriShow.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, then I'd love you to support me by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash inside try show. Shout out to to the brands that I love working with and they support the show by offering you some great discounts as well. So 33fuel.com do natural and yummy energy bars and protein bars, daily greens, workout shakes and chia seed gels. Use the code inside try 33 for a discount at checkout. Long range fuel make phenomenally I mean phenomenally tasty performance enhancing nut butters you'll get 10% off with the code inside try 10 that's all lowercase over at resilientnutrition.com there's 20% discount on offer over at comfuel.co.uk they do a whole range of energy products face masks sweat tests water bottles you name it they'll do it use the code inside try and then you can get 15% off most of the collection at prescottsportswear.com they make amazing sustainable sportswear it's like properly the real deal they recycle material and everything it's amazing use the code inside try all uppercase over at prescasportswear.com so as i say all of the links to all of those brands are in the show notes thank you again to cardiologist dr michael papadikis absolute leader in his field and to paul and greg for speaking so well about what they have been through if there is something that's not quite right don't try and be a hero. Go and talk to someone. Go and get some advice. You have been listening to the Inside Try Show. It's been a heart special. I'm Helen Murray. You can subscribe over at insidetryshow.com forward slash listen. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Look after yourself. Look after those around you. And we'll speak again soon. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.